Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome once again to the latest edition of the Real Steamy Podcast. I am your host, Jarvis Hall, where you know we keep it real, real steamy out here with the East Metro Steam Partnership. We are excited today. We have a very, very special guest. We are bringing in Liza Finkel from Lewis and Clark College. Uh, Liza, welcome to the show. Hi, Jarvis. It's great to be here. Looking and forward Liza, to the conversation. And you are an associate professor of secondary pro and the director of secondary programs at Lewis and Clark College. And you're in the uh, you're in the part the school of the graduate school of education, correct? That's correct. The Graduate School of Education and Counseling, and I direct the secondary Master of Arts in Teaching program. Fantastic, fantastic! So I'm I'm excited to to have you here, and, and you are a doctor as well, correct? I am. My PhD is in science education, actually. Fantastic! That's one thing I've noticed a lot about a lot of folks. Uh, when I when I see their pages and stuff, uh, you know, I, you know, I like to lead. I like I don't like to bury the lead, but you know, when uh, when we're speaking with you and then and then look, checking out your your profile and stuff online and things like that, I'm like, wait a minute, she she doesn't she doesn't tout her you know education. Normally, I'm seeing people with you know doctor or PhD after their name. It's the first thing you see when they come in, and you know, for yours, just way at the bottom, just you know, hey, I got a PhD from. University of Wisconsin-Madison, you know, no big deal, you know. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. In a way, it is a big deal. It was a lot of work and something that I am really proud of. Uh, It's not necessarily the first part of my identity that I um, like to talk about, especially when I work with teachers. I think sometimes when you say you have a PhD, people think that you live in an ivory tower and you don't... um, you're not on the ground with teachers, and I try really hard to keep my work grounded in the real work of schools and the work of preparing people to be science teachers. So I think that's why I sort of uh, don't put my PhD at the top necessarily. It's more that my experience as a teacher, uh, both in teacher education and in the middle school and high school science classroom, is what makes me who I am. Well, one thing I will say is you're a lot better than me because I'm, I'm currently working on a, a PhD and I've told everybody once I get it, I'm doing nothing but wearing sweater vests and ascots <laughs> every day. Like, like you're just going to see me in an ascot with a tweed jacket and, 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 and elbow pads just every day. I'm just at least the first year. Well, you should definitely you should definitely be proud of the fact that you're working on a PhD, and when you get your PhD, you should definitely be proud of that. Because I, as I said, it was a lot of work, um, and I learned a lot doing it. Um, and you know, interestingly, even though it was many more years ago than I like to say, I'm actually still in touch with my um, advisor from my PhD program and a number of my peers who are in the program with me, and we stay in touch across the country, even though. We're literally spread out across the whole country now um, doing science education work in different settings. Yeah, now the only disappointing part was you got it from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and me, my undergraduate was at Oregon State. And the last time we, we played you guys, you guys kind of stomped a hole in it. So uh, 
you know, that part we'll try to forgive you a bit on. Thank uh, I am a Midwesterner. I originally, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, most of my, uh, most of my childhood, not all of it, but most of it. And so both my master's degree and my um, PhD are from Midwestern schools, University of Michigan for my master's and University of Wisconsin for my PhD. So. Yeah. Yes. I, I saw that. I used to, I used to love University of Michigan growing up as uh, a big Fab Five fan. So you know, as a kid, I had a, a Chris Webber jersey and <laughs> Jared and, and Jalen Rose, and like that was my my team. I just like I loved Michigan and even the football team when Lloyd Carr was a coach, and you know I followed Michigan a lot. But as you yep. can see, I was a big sports fan as a as a kid. But uh, before I get too far deep into sports, uh, I do want to talk about uh, Lewis and Clark because you all are doing some some really cool things uh, and I wanted to talk to you about, it, which is why we're here on the podcast today. Uh, in particular, I wanted to first talk to you about, um, you're doing a lot of role with, with, with stuff on science and you have a, a science MAT program, which I think is fantastic. But before we dive a little deeper into that, uh, talk to me a little bit about, um, you guys are, are looking at teaching science for social justice. And I want to know more about kind of what that means and how you're incorporating that in the curriculum and, and what are kind of the goals for that moving forward as you see uh, science as a social justice. Because often what I've seen a lot and even in, in, in the higher ed areas is as we've, as we've seen over the last year with the, with the particular emphasis on social justice uh, over the last year, I, I've noticed a lot of the what they call I use these in air quotes, the hard sciences. Uh, uh, speaking of some of the elitist parts when you talk about with, with faculty, but you know, some of the hard scientists, science areas, you know, feel like, oh, that's the, the liberal arts area that have to really address that, or the social sciences that have to address that, that we as a hard science don't necessarily, you know, we're just all about the science. We don't have any social justice issues as a part. So I was interested that that you all are taking a different approach in that you're using teaching science as a social justice piece. How are you doing that and incorporating that in Lewis and Clark? Well, let me start by saying um, focusing on social justice is something that underlies our whole program. So it's something that we um, tell people who apply to the program that they should expect. And it's something that we work really hard to um, incorporate into all of our coursework. As a science educator, I actually think it's essential that we teach science with a social justice mindset and a social justice focus and incorporate ideas about um, justice and anti-racism into our teaching. Uh, it would be a mistake to assume that somehow science is excluded from social justice or uh, anti-racist work and that science hasn't been, uh, I guess I'll use the word infected by racism and injustice. And so there's, that's one part of why I think uh, science is, a, it's essential to include social justice in science. If we ignore the fact that science has been used to further racist goals um, in the past, uh, that science has excluded many people from participating, uh, people of color, 
uh, LGBTQ individuals, women, um, have not found science a place that they can um, feel comfortable and do engaging work. Um, and so I think that's, I think science itself has often forwarded racist and, and, and injustice, uh, racist goals and injustice. Um, so I think that's one reason if we teach science as if it didn't do that, then we're actually ignoring a huge part of science. And the other thing is, and maybe this um, doesn't have to go towards social justice, but I think that it should. Um, one of the things we have to do as science teachers is engage all of our students meaningfully in learning science. And if we teach science as if it's a thing that's outside of their experience, or if we ignore the fact that when we look at pictures in our textbooks, or when we look at examples of who we hold up as famous scientists, that there are no people of color, very few women, or not none, but very few people of color, um, very few women, uh, LGBTQ people are often excluded. That makes students who are engaging in science learning feel like it's not for them, and actually that it's actively excluding them, not just that they shouldn't be interested in it, but that they couldn't be interested in it or be successful. So when we make social justice um, a really fundamental part of our thinking about teaching science, um, it's a way to include more students and make the conversation about who does science and who can do science and who should do science a much more open conversation. So that I think understanding sort of the fundamental reasons about why I think social justice should be a part of science instruction and not only done in social studies classes or language arts classes or art maybe, um, I, think that's, I think that's a fundamental error and it's exclusive. And it's also, again, as I said, ignoring the history of science that we, that we know um, is not, uh, doesn't support all people. Um, so oh, that's I one piece. Yes, I, I definitely 100% agree with you there. And what I think sometimes happens is that we absolve the quote-unquote hard sciences from some of the tough work of social justice. So, you know, we, 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 it's, it's easy for us to incorporate that in social studies, uh, but it's when, when we're looking at engineering, uh, one, one, one thing that I've, I've talked with some people about, especially when it came to, to hiring different folks, is when we say, hey, you should think about hiring uh, and being more inclusive in your hiring practices. You need to hire more people of color, more women. The first thing people will push back on will say, well, we just want to hire the best person. So then I responded them back is, so you're telling me that the best person isn't a woman or a person of color when that may be the case, but because there are barriers in place, they don't get that opportunity. So we're saying that the same with science. It's all, oh, we don't, we don't, we, we don't there's been no discrimination in science. We're just all about the science. And then I'm like, great. How come a lot of young people are learning about Alexander Graham Bell, for example, but they're not learning about Dr. Charles Drew, or they're not learning about, uh, you know, Alice Bell or Catherine Johnson, uh, you know, folks like that, because those, they're not represented in a lot of those, those textbooks. Uh, but I, I really, I'm really excited that your program uh, really sees it as a core and it's not just an equity, but you're moving even further into that, into really looking at social justice and restorative justice, which is something I, I just really appreciate. Um, what are some of the ways 
that you guys are, are incorporating making science more engaging and learning, more, more engaging and meaningful for, for, for young people. And then, you know, giving your teachers that you kind of come out of your program those tools uh, to be able to move that forward. So the first thing is sort of the, in a way it's easy, but it's not necessarily easy. And that is presenting science as a more inclusive practice. So making sure to share the names of and the lives and work of uh, diverse groups of scientists and instead of the sort of typical uh, group of scientists that we see, again, represented in many textbooks that we um, that we might see still being used in high school. So as you mentioned, why is it that um, kids in middle school, elementary school, middle school, and high school aren't learning about uh, scientists of colors or women scientists? So the first thing is to be more inclusive in the content and the faces and lives of people and the work of people that, um, that we talk about. The second thing I think is really thinking about how you connect the science that you teach to um, things that kids are caring about in the community. So an example, one of my students um, developed a unit this summer for her final course in the program. So this is a person who's now teaching uh, in the Portland area. Um, when she was working on this curriculum unit was at the beginning of the George Floyd response protests that were happening in Portland. And there was a lot of concern and a lot of information in the news about tear gas and um, the impact that it was having on folks. And there's even more since then, um, whether tear gas is polluting the soil, um, whether tear gas is uh, polluting the Willamette River. There's a lot of questions about that. But the question she was interested in, and she's a middle school teacher, was why were the protesters carrying milk as a way to alleviate the sting of tear gas? And so she developed a unit where students were investigating sort of the chemistry behind the interaction between milk and tear gas to understand why milk was a good thing to use. So she's actually taking a, an event that's happening in the community. She's not ignoring the fact that there are protesters who are protesting racism in the community. That's part of her unit. And she's helping students understand the science behind something that's happening associated with the protests that were happening. So making a very clear connection between science that we would ordinarily teach, so chemistry, and events that are happening in, in the world and in the community that students are interested in um, is a really good way to get kids engaged and help them see that science isn't just something that people do in labs, although that's certainly one place that people can do science, but that everyday people can use science to make meaningful choices and understand things in their world that matter to them, not only things that matter in more abstract contexts. So I think that's one way is sort of making those really explicit connections between the science that you're seeing in the world around you and the questions kids have about the environment um, and the science that you're teaching in school. Yeah, so some, of the, some of the protests in Portland, I think might have might have had some of those classes. They were really, uh, uh, what, what, what I said, is there's sometimes when you just have to tip your hat to somebody and uh, they were wondering why in Portland, uh, when the protests were at their height, that we uh, at all the Lowe's and Home Depots ran out of leaf blowers. <laughs> I was like, why did they run out of leaf blowers? Yeah. It was because when they were putting the tear gas out, the protesters had leaf blowers and were blowing 
the smoke away from the the tear gas away from themselves and back onto the, some of the uh, some of the because uh, they weren't all police officers. Some were federal agents and those things, but those uh, the law enforcement entities. And I was like, whether whatever side you're on, and I'm not getting into that piece of it, no. um, but I was like, you have to tip your hat to them to think, hey, let's go get leaf blowers. Right. <laughs> And 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 move that away. But I I really thought that was interesting. I thought that was a great way to get the youth engaged because they're seeing that. And what they don't want to do is they don't want to see that and then come to a class where we can't even acknowledge it. Exactly. And we, so and we can't even like why am I learning about these chemicals if this is not going to apply to my life? Uh, but I'm going to get your comment on the other side of this. I do got to take a quick break here to say this episode of the Real Steamy Podcast is sponsored by STEM Week Oregon. Oregon STEM Week is May 8th through May 16th, 2021. It's the seventh annual STEM Week, which is a statewide movement to raise awareness, celebrate and engage in activities involving science, technology, engineering, art, and math. This year, we're thrilled to partner with Remake Learning Days across America for the first time. The theme for this year is design, invent, inspire. We're asking people to use the hashtag STEM Week OR2021. And there are micro grants available for folks to host events for underserved youth and families. Please go to the website, stemweekoregon.org, or sorry, stemoregon.org slash stemweek2021 and you can register your events, apply for micro grants, and check out the themes of the day, which is going to be Make It Monday, Take It Apart Tuesday, What Are You Wondering Wednesday, Think About Thursday, Fail Trip Friday, Sound and Shadow Saturday, and Soaring Sundays. You can find information in both English and Spanish, see all the daily challenges, and even how to convert some of those challenges for you teachers into the seesaw format. So feel free to go to our website today. Again, STEM Week Oregon. May 8th through the 16th. Okay, as, as we dive back into it, you were, you were finishing a comment and I didn't mean to, to cut you off there. I wanted to get that table read in because we're just moving right along in this hour. I mean, man. So I think what I was, what I was saying is um, that one of the ways that I encourage students to think about how social justice can be a part of their curriculum is by thinking about how to connect the science that they're teaching to um, current events that are happening in the community that are interesting to students or to, uh, to problems that students identify in their communities. So sort of extending that idea about um, the tear gas idea um, a number of years ago, not that many, we had a serious concern in Portland with lead in the water in our schools and also lead in the water in a number of other places, but it became really clear that schools were one place given the age of a lot of our buildings, that lead was problematic. So how do you connect the question of the lead in the schools with the chemistry that you're teaching, for example, or with an environmental science class that you're teaching, or a biology class if you're trying to understand what's the impact of lead on, uh, on the human body and why are we worried about lead? There were articles in the newspaper saying that if you grew vegetables in soil that was contaminated with lead, that those vegetables might actually take up the lead into their um, 
bodies and that you would eat it and then you would get lead in your body. So is that actually a legitimate scientific claim? So trying to look at the things that are happening in the community and draw them into your classroom and not ignore the fact that um, lead, lead poisoning or um, the incidences of higher amounts of lead in water, in soil is also um, connected to areas of poverty. So you're more likely to have lead in your, in your soil or in your water if you're living in an area where everything is older, the pipes are older, the housing stock is older. And how does that sort of overlay over um, the racial makeup of our communities in Portland? So we don't ignore the justice questions in order to um, only address the science as if the science wasn't somehow related to an issue of justice in the community. So that's one thing is those clear connections in the curriculum. Another thing is in class, we actually sort of unpack science in order to find, to, to sort of explore the ways in which science has been used to promote racism or support racist ideas. So we look at examples like the Tuskegee experiments that were conducted. Um, we look at the, uh, there's a great article in one of the Rethinking Schools um, collections about um, using the book, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks to explore um, issues of genetics and also issues of um, health inequities that are promoted or that are uh, enacted against people of color and using Henrietta Lacks's story as a case. So we look at examples of ways in which teachers are doing this and we um, don't absolve ourselves of the responsibility of looking at science critically and trying to understand the ways in which um, it's racist and unequal past and to some extent potentially present um, could be covered up uh, by saying that it's just science or science is somehow separate from the social context in which it occurs. So a good example right now, this will be my last example, I'll let you say something else, Jarvis, um, is yesterday in class we read part of an article from Scientific American about why uh, African-American or Black um, folks are more likely to suffer severe consequences of COVID-19. And the ways in which that is portrayed by some scientists and by doctors as somehow genetically, somehow there's a genetic connection, which is false, even though everyone, most people should understand that that's false. Um, but there's actually, uh, it's because of systemic racism and systemic inequalities that folks um, that certain populations of folks are more likely to suffer severe consequences of COVID-19. And that's a responsibility we have to students is to help them understand what that is and then think about how we might address that and how by ignoring that we are actually ignoring um, both potential solutions to this problem, but also um, the fact that it exists, that this problem is actually a real problem. So there's a couple of examples. Well, I appreciate those those examples, and you never have to apologize for talking. The whole reason why we bring <laughs> you on is to talk. People hear me talk all the time, so that's not a problem at all. But I did want you, if you could, say just a little bit, because uh, a lot of people understand the uh, the Tuskegee experiments. A lot of people, uh, even though a lot of people don't always fully understand it, but they know what what happened. And I, you know, I always hate when people say, oh, that was so long ago. But uh, one area that people don't know a lot of 
is Henrietta Lacks. If you could take a, a minute to kind of explain that uh, to the audience a bit uh, for those who, who haven't looked up her case or understand her legacy or, or understand the importance that she has to American life and science uh, in particular. So, uh, Sure. So Henrietta Lacks was a woman who was diagnosed with cancer and she had uh, uh, an unusual, um, her biology was a little bit unusual in that her cells were uh, particularly, uh, I think they grew particularly fast and they uh, responded differently to some of the cancer drugs that they were trying to use um, than other cells. And what happened was doctors took her cells without her permission and started using them in laboratory experiments. Um, and the HALA, H-E-L-A, short for Henrietta Lacks, H-E, first two letters of her first name, L-A, first two letters of her last name, the HALA cell line has become, first of all, it became a huge moneymaker for labs who were producing the cells so that they could be used in labs all around the country. Um, they were sold. And then they also um, were used in sort of studying the uh, effect of different drugs on cancer. And Henrietta Lacks's family was not told until many years after this had been done. Actually, the HALA cell line is still out there. Um, and as far as I know, her family has never received any compensation. And it wasn't until, um, I'm going to forget her first name, Rebecca Sklute uh, wrote this book, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, which basically tells the whole story of what happened, um, that there was a lot of awareness outside of the sort of very narrow scientific community that studied those, um, those cells and that kind of cancer, uh, that this had happened. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of a, a little bit of background, uh, and of her story. Uh, she is a person of color. Um, and in the story, one of the other things I think is really powerful about the story is her case actually led to the development of a lot of the protections that are in place now, the human subjects protections that are in place for medical studies. So the ways in which um, people have to be notified of the ways in which they're, um, they their participation in a study uh, could affect them. Uh, so a lot of those laws that are in place now to protect human subjects came about because of the way uh, Henrietta Lacks's rights were not protected as a part of this. Um, and unfortunately, even though her cells have become uh, have been have played such an important role in understanding cancer, uh, she did not survive her cancer and died at a young age. So that's a little bit of. Yes, and, I, and, I, and I wanted to make sure that, that we, we noted that and, and shared that. And, um, you know, the stuff that's really that always intrigued me about her case is most people, when they sometimes when they think of the, the Tuskegee experiment, they think of, oh, this happened in, you know, a small town in Alabama. And, you know, you know, what, you know, it, it's, it's some sterilist folks. And, oh, that would never happen in the, the big city or up north or whatever. And, you know, her, 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 I believe she was at Johns Hopkins. Yeah, I think uh, that's correct. Where, where she was receiving uh, treatment in, in Boston, you know, a big time medical facility, world renowned, 
you know, the, the best scientists and, and the best doctors and all these things. And this was the, the person whose sales led to so much research, but was never compensated, uh, did not receive the, the best treatment at the, at the time. But I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of the research, a lot of the, the, the cancer, uh, not even just cancer, I think some of the stuff went to uh, uh, help with uh, a lot of, of blood-related uh, diseases and things like that. Uh, but she, it was, it was, it was, it was so impactful. Yet the the person of color and the woman gets put off to the side. And not only that, they they they, they kind of name it after her, which was even which I always feel that some of that stuff, even the fact that they acknowledge it is, is, is almost kind of like a double slap. It's like, yeah, we, we kind of took your stuff and yeah, we're not really giving you full credit for it. We'll name your stuff. We'll name the stuff after you a little bit, but uh, her, her story was always, it's always one that, that really hurt me and is, is really glad that the book came out and, uh, I believe they have a foundation set up, as a matter of fact, uh, the Henrietta Lacks Foundation, which actually uh, seeks to help folks uh, who have been in similar situations, uh, such as her, such as the Tuskegee syphilis studies and some of the human radiation experiments and others to help individuals uh, who've been directly impacted by such research. And I really appreciate that you all are bringing that into your classrooms to help people understand. So when folks say, hey, when we're, we're giving out this vaccine for COVID-19, hey, why are, why are Black people skeptical about getting the vaccine? If you understand the history, you understand why people may be, uh, may, may not trust uh, scientists or healthcare uh, areas because of some of this disparate treatment that still continues to this day. Uh, so I really appreciate that you all are, are incorporating this as part of your program so that this can be incorporated in in schools and that science can really understand what what they need to be a part of when it comes to, to social justice. So, well, and two things I'll add, uh, two things I'll add. One is uh, the author of the book, uh, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, is from Portland. Um, and that's just kind of an interesting plug for Portland that we get great science writers coming out of our schools and community. Um, and that um, one of my, one of the teacher authors who I admire most, Gretchen Craig Turner has written an article um, that was published in Rethinking Schools about how she uses the book, um, The Immortal Life of Henry Lax in her science class. So the students read the whole book in her class in a unit about cells. And she's also developed a unit about Tuskegee um, and also published uh, writing about that in, in Rethinking School. So I would encourage folks who are interested in um, sort of how social justice can play out both in science classes and other classes to check out Rethinking Schools. You can go to Rethinking Schools um, and find them online. And also to particularly look for Gretchen's uh, articles on Tuskegee and Henrietta Lacks. No, and I, Those are those are two articles that we read in um, in my class. So it's great for students to have, for pre-service teachers to have examples of things that other teachers have done as they start thinking about how to um, how to do this work themselves. See, it really 
it really hits home for me uh, a lot because my my mother has or had a genetic blood disease called sickle cell anemia, mm-hmm. and it uh, primarily impacts those of African descent. Um, it can affect anybody as long as 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 you know both parents have the trait, uh, but but it typically affects those that are um, that are African, African American, uh, African Afro Latino, uh, are Afro Latinx. My apologies, and then uh, and I have always felt, even though the the National Sickle Cell Anemia Foundation doesn't like this stance, but I always feel that there'd be more attention on the disease if it wasn't seen as a black disease. Mm-hmm. And far too often, uh, the the treatment that folks get, they're not being they're not treated in a manner uh, with 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 empathy as other uh, diseases might be, but in doing the research has come a long way since, you know, my mother died in 1999, but now people are living into their fifties and sixties with the disease. And there was so much research that is being done now and and progressing towards a cure, but there are so many folks who were being tested on in those early years of medicine once it was recognized about the disease that they that they were they were almost as seen as as guinea pigs for lack of a better word and so uh, to to see how we've come today is a lot better and to see a program like yours that is, that is teaching the story of justice I, I just think it's fantastic uh, I do want to move towards uh, one other area just really quick of how you all are, are increasing uh, underrepresented students uh, to choose STEM majors and STEM careers? And how are you, you know, kind of looking at recruiting students, uh, especially students uh, of color, to jump into those uh, fields? I know I have some family members who are teachers, and oftentimes those who are, are people of color, if they are interested in teaching, you know, they're, they're, they're pushed towards physical education are pushed towards, um, you know, some of those areas, which, you know, I, I laugh at a lot, but but you don't, they're, they're not encouraged, hey, you can be a science teacher or a math teacher, et cetera. How are you yeah. guys, you know, looking at that and, and trying to uh, add to the uh, STEM teacher of color? Uh, so this is a huge area for me, uh, something I'm really concerned about. Um, a couple things. One is the first thing we have to do is encourage young people of color to major in science and math. So if you're not a science or math major, it's going to be difficult for you to be an effective science or math teacher. So that's the first thing. And that's actually one of the, going back to why, I, why I'm why i working to prepare teachers who have social justice as a focus in their science teaching, is the more kids we can get to be and I, I wanna say this clearly, students come to school interested in learning science. There's lots of research that shows, and we know from talking to young kids, they're interested in scientific questions and school schools that interest out of them by teaching science in ways that don't connect to their lives and their interests and that are, to be honest, boring and actually ineffective. 
So we school kids away from their interest in science. We have to change how we teach science in we have to teach science in elementary school. We have to change what we do in middle school and high school to make it more engaging and to look like something that a person, any interesting person would want to do, but particularly by making science, making it clear that everyone can participate in science and everyone can make science uh, meaningful in their lives or see science as meaningful in their lives. We will increase participation by women. We will increase participation by people of color. And that is the first thing we have to do and why I work in teacher education, because that's, for me, the starting place. So that's the first part. Um, the second part is we also need to help students see that science teaching is a science or STEM career. Science and math teaching are STEM careers. Scientists and mathematicians um, can do lots of things, and teaching is one of those things. And so we also have to sort of raise the um, attractiveness and the visibility of STEM teaching as a career, especially for folks who are interested, who love their discipline, science or math, but also are interested in making a difference in society. So schools are a good place to go if you really wanna change things and change, I mean, I, this is kind of grandiose, but if you wanna change the world, you start with young people and teachers have huge impact on their students. So we wanna make that obvious to folks. I think, so that's another piece. And then there's one other piece before I talk about recruitment, which is we also have to make schools welcoming places for people of color as teachers. Um, when we look at the research, number one, we know that we don't have enough teachers of color. Um, when you look at the population of students that they're serving, we still have a largely white teaching population and an increasingly more diverse and actually white minority student population, if you look across the country. So we need to work on that. Um, and that makes a difference to students. Having a Black teacher has a huge impact on the likelihood of a student continuing in school especially having a black teacher early on. So we need to increase participation, but we need to make schools places that are welcoming to teachers of color. And there's a fair amount of research that shows that they are not welcoming to teachers of color and teachers of color leave the field uh, at a at way too high a rate. So they put in a lot of work to become teachers, they get into schools and they don't find them places that are um, professionally and personally rewarding. So we have to fix that. So those are some of the things that I think about and try to work on um, in terms of, for example, making schools more welcoming places. There's a lot of work that needs to be done with administrators to help them think about how to create a culture that is welcoming and supportive of all teachers. Um, that hasn't always been at the forefront of administrators thinking. I don't wanna blame anyone, but I think that's one place that we need to think. Uh, forming uh, affinity groups and other kinds of support network in schools, uh, preparing teachers to seek out and develop their own affinity groups is also another strategy. So it fits things that need to happen in the school building and things that need to happen in teacher preparation um, can work together to create a more welcoming environment. Um, when it comes to recruitment, especially in directly into teacher education programs, I think there's a lot of pieces there. One piece is um, financial aid support. Uh, we need scholarships that are targeted uh, for teachers of color, particularly in STEM fields. We seem to do better at recruiting teachers um, in general and teachers of color into humanities fields, especially social studies and language arts. And we're really struggling more in science and math. 
So we need targeted uh, scholarship programs that uh, are well publicized and that help students manage the cost of uh, their teacher education preparation. Um, so I think that's a huge piece. I also think we need to raise the visibility of programs like Lewis and Clark's program that has this explicit social justice focus and is really interested in the participation of folks of color and the voices of folks of color and helping us understand better how to support and prepare all teachers to work with diverse groups of students in the classroom. So those are some of the things that we're working on. We do have uh, targeted scholarships at Lewis and Clark. Uh, we've just increased, the Dean has just increased the scholarship fund for, particularly for, um, with the goal of increasing the diversity of our teacher education programs. Um, we are working on thinking about who are the community organizations that we need to partner with more closely who serve um, people of color in the Portland area so that we are raising our visibility and also um, raising our, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, making it clear that we don't just say we're doing this, but that we're actually doing it. So we don't just talk the talk, we walk the walk to use an old uh, saw there. Um, but helping folks in the community know that if you're interested in this kind of work, Lewis and Clark is a place to come. Um, and frequently Lewis and Clark isn't always seen as that place. So we need to make it clear that this is work we do and that we care about it and that we are actively um, seeking and supporting uh, a more diverse population of folks who are interested in becoming teachers. All right. Well, I'm pretty sure that you're doing that. Take a quick uh, break, really quick, so I can uh, get one more sponsor read in here. Uh, this episode of the Real Steamy Podcast is brought to you by STEM Oregon as STEM Week Oregon 2021 is May 8th through May 16th. It's the seventh annual STEM Week Oregon, which is a statewide movement to raise awareness, celebrate, and engage in activities involving science, technology, engineering, art, and math. This year, we're thrilled to partner with Remake Learning Days across America for the first time. The theme for this year is design, invent, and inspire. We're using the hashtag on social media, hashtag STEM Week OR 2021. And feel free to come and celebrate with us with all events across the state. You too can host an event this year. We are now seeing there are micro grants available for $250 to help events, to help reach underserved youth and families. You can go right to the website and learn more about this. That is stemweekoregon.org slash STEM Week 2021. That again is stemoregon.org slash STEM Week 2021. Well, thank you. I, I really do appreciate uh, this. And, I, and, I, and what I do want to ask you a quick question about recruiting before I, uh, I move on to your, your picture at Scientist event um, is that there are some that I hear, you know, as far as feedback is saying that that you're having to compete with with industry, that folks are um, who are people of color who are in the uh, in the science or math area, even as undergrads, are seeing more lucrative or attractive opportunities in industry 
Uh, has, has that been the case? Or is it that just not enough people know what great teaching careers uh, are available for those in, in the STEM areas? So, I mean, to be honest, yeah, you can definitely make more money if you work in industry than if you go into public education or even private education. I'll, you know, we can't, we're not going to pretend that's not the case. Um, I do think, so an interesting trend that I'm seeing is that folks who start their career as a STEM, uh, in STEM, in industry, some of them actually decide to leave industry and actually um, both in industry and in other areas like higher education. So I I have specific examples of science and math uh, folks who are making a midlife career change, leaving, uh, and I won't name any local industries, but leaving industry and coming into the classroom, uh, leaving a university position or a research position and coming into the classroom and becoming a teacher. Um, And often they say things like, it's time for me to give back. I am frustrated when I see the ways that um, students feel disconnected from science. I love science. I really want it to be something that uh, more students engage in. And I think that I could contribute in a meaningful way. So we frequently have folks who we would call sort of career changers, midlife um, career changers who leave industry or research positions and come into teaching. Um, so I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is just to really be clear. I mean, there's nothing wrong. We definitely need people to do industry, to take jobs in industry and do the work of science and math in industry. Um, and we need folks to do research. And so we don't want to set ourselves up as competing with them, but we do want to emphasize, I think a couple things I said before, one is, um, schools can be wonderful and exciting places to work. Young people are, Um, incredibly exciting when they get excited and they're fun and interesting and kind of goofy sometimes. And just, it's just a pleasant experience to work with them. Not always, but there's that. But also if you really do want to make a difference in society um, in a very direct way, being a teacher is a wonderful way to do that. And if you look at what's happening in the world and you're worried about um, how to create a more socially, environmentally, racially just society, a school is a wonderful place to do that. So I think sort of getting that word out that schools are great places to do important work. Um, And yes, you're not gonna make the millions or the tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars, I don't know how much uh, that you might make in industry, um, but you're gonna have a really satisfying career. So I think that's kind of the message. So so if you haven't started your undergrad, jump in the math and science. If you already graduated here in industry, come on and hang out. Uh, it's never too late to jump on over and exactly. start start teaching. Exactly. We'd love to have all of you there. And I, as I said, we have both. One of the real, the richest parts of my own work with pre-service teachers is when I have a class full of pre-service science candidates who come from a variety of different experiences. So folks who have been researchers for a number of years or have worked in industry for a number of years. Um, I have often have students who have a PhD in science who decide that, you know, I'm coming back to school to get a master's degree in teaching science because that's what I need to do in order to really um, fulfill myself and make a difference. Man, that is, that is fantastic because it, it's, you know, 
be, being able to make a difference. There, there's something that's sad for that. Uh, oftentimes, you know, we equate, uh, you know, capitalism with America that you have to, you're not going out to make the most money. You're, 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 you're not going to be fulfilled. But there's so many that money is not the chief fulfillment uh, in their life. And even though you're dedicated to the the science, there is a uh, there 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 is a payment. There is a there's value in being hands on, teaching the youth, being a part of of bringing in the the next generation of of scientists. There there there's something that there's value in that, and I yeah, think I, that we need to share that a lot more with with folks. We do, and I, I mean I think you know the idea of switching careers. Um, for some of the folks that I've worked with, they actually start their careers in industry pretty early, and they can actually retire from industry and then start a whole new career. And so that also is, you know, sort of financially sometimes more feasible for folks who are considering that. Well, I'll tell you, fantastic. And I do like what you talked about earlier about, you know, opening up more resources and scholarships and things like that, because that's what uh, when we talk about, you know, kind of structural things, that's what a lot of people don't understand that those are some of those barriers are there for people that, you know, they, they might have had to take out a lot of student loans to get through their undergrad, let alone look at taking out some more for, for graduate school. And if there if they aren't scholarships, then because the pay in some of the schools may be a little bit lower, it may it may be really difficult for them directly uh, to be able to take some of those positions. Why well, I used to like uh, there there was and I think there still is uh, there's a public loan student student loan forgiveness uh, program, and then there was a, a teaching uh, forgiveness program for those that were teaching in Title One schools. And there were some of those things that were offered federally that would help, uh, but we still need more of those scholarships. We still need more of those local supports for people when they get in to these positions. All those things that you brought up, I think, are are fantastic, and we need more of. And I'm definitely glad that you and and Lewis and Clark are at the the forefront of this and really pushing for these to happen uh, in the community. Thank you. I was going to bring up the student loan forgiveness program because, especially for science and math teachers. Um, because it's a high need area pretty much everywhere in the country and certainly in Oregon, uh, science and math teachers qualify for those uh, loan forgiveness programs. And we have a financial aid counselor at Lewis and Clark who works with our graduate students and who can give information to anyone who's interested about um, how to access those uh, forgivable loans and make those a part of their funding of graduate school in addition to scholarships. I encourage anyone who's doing that, make sure you speak directly with uh, with the financial aid office and that counselor. Uh, because if you if, if you do something a little bit different, you do something a little bit wrong, it can, it can definitely change your eligibility uh, for, for some of those. So yes, it can. make sure you're speaking directly to that, uh, that counselor and understanding uh, that process because it can be a little little complicated. But it's a great it's a great way I think of of really addressing, helping to address the need for teachers and the opportunity for it to provide more opportunities to underrepresented populations to become those, uh, those, those teachers in those areas. Um, 
But before we depart, I want to talk a little bit. You all have an event coming up on April 13th, uh, 2021. Uh, and I believe it's called Picture of Scientists, Viewing and Panel Discussion on Diversifying uh, Participation in Science. Could you talk a little bit about an event and, you know, kind of give a little plug for it and sure. show people where to sign up and how to sign up and why they need to be there? I will. So Picture of Scientist is a new film that just came out in 2020, um, and it focuses on uh, participation of women and people of color in science and particularly focuses on women and women of color. Uh, and I learned about it actually from the Multnomah ESD, so I'm excited and thankful um, to Amy Lindahl for bringing this um, film to my attention. And we have decided that we're going to be doing uh, a showing of the film. There'll be a 72-hour window uh, that will be April 10th through the 13th. And we're working on our website. It's not quite ready yet. But if you go to the Lewis and Clark Graduate School of Education page, we will soon have a registration website. So there'll be a viewing window for people to sign up and view the film virtually anytime during those 72 hours. And then on the 13th from 4 to 5, we're hosting a panel of women scientists and science educators uh, of color and of various, various identities uh, to talk about their experiences as women in science and also to talk about the ways in which um, either their own education or their work as teachers uh, is promoting and supporting the participation of a more diverse group of science uh, scientists. So I'm really excited about that. Um, as I said, we we will have our website up by the end of this month, actually by the 22nd of February, we're aiming for having everything ready. Um, and then it's gonna be free. Uh, there'll just be an online registration form that you submit so that we can send you the information for how to log on to the Zoom panel on the 13th and how to access the film during the 72 hours prior to that uh, panel presentation. Great. Definitely shout out to Amy Lindahl. Uh, she is the uh, school improvement specialist for K-12 math and science at Monoma ESD. And she was also a recent uh, acting team chair here at the East Metro Theme Partnership. She worked on our, our as a lead of our education acting team. She's really passionate about this. And she's helping work with us, uh, which we hope, that we're in the process of developing a, a deeper partnership with, with Lewis and Clark uh, around some of these areas that we discussed today. And she's, also think, a, she's also a graduate of Lewis and Clark MAT program and has served as a mentor when she was still in the classroom for, our, for some of our science um, teacher candidates. So she's got a very, she's amazing and has incredible uh, experience both with the program and does great work to support uh, science teachers, uh, both practicing and upcoming science teachers um, in the Portland area. Oh, yeah, we, we, we definitely love, love Amy. And let me get this last read in real quick because we're almost about to head out. But remember, we are sponsored today by STEM Week Oregon. STEM Week Oregon is May 8th. May through May 16, 2021. And you can get more information on the seventh annual STEM Week by visiting stemweekoregon.org slash stemweek2021. Remember, micro grants are available 
That is at stemoregon.org slash stemweek2021. Eliza, I want to thank you so much. I want everybody to know, make sure you're going to uh, the Lewis and Clark website, lclark.edu. There's great information there. Um, and if you if you did get right on academics, you go to Lewis and Clark Graduate School of Education and Counseling. Uh, there's information there about the, the MAT, which uh, there's multiple subjects. Of course, we want you to be into the sciences and the math. That's what we're pushing for. But there's that there. There's a MAT with uh, ESOL available. There's a there's just a variety of, of really cool options. And then for those who even have their uh, their master's of arts of teaching, there are other opportunities there uh, as well. There's uh, there's areas around teacher leadership uh, for equity and social justice certificate. Uh, it's a very really, really cool program. They have an organ writing project certificate. Uh, there's a reading interventions. There's some really cool opportunities for those who even have their, their teaching license already, and even those who even want to pursue further into the, the doctoral level. So there's a lot of really good programs. We, of course, are hoping that we're encouraging more science folks, and we definitely want you to uh, look at those opportunities. So if you're a professional and you want to change careers, uh, feel free to, to reach out to, to Liza and the program. They're doing some some really really cool things. So and then mark your calendar for April thirteenth, right? April thirteenth. Yes, April thirteenth. And I'm hoping, Jarvez, that once I have the link, that you would be willing to post it on your podcast website so that people who listen to the podcast would be able to uh, access it directly. Would that yeah, work? Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have it not only on, on the podcast once it's once it's published. We'll have it on the in the description piece. We will also. Uh, put that information on our social media feeds. Great. So it'll be on our social media. Uh, we'll have it in our newsletter uh, that month. Our newsletter goes out of the, the first of the month. So if you're not signed up for our newsletter, make sure to go to eastmetrosteam.org. That's eastmetrosteam.org. And you can uh, click on the link to get a part of our newsletter and learn about uh, those things that are going on. Uh, make sure uh, if you want more information directly, uh, you can just, for, for the science MAT program, they have an actual page. So there's a page for uh, the secondary MAT program. And then there's a page for the science MAT program. So if you go right to uh, lclark.edu, uh, you look under departments, look under teacher education, prospective teachers, there's a, a page on middle school, high school science. So you can go right there and get all the information you would like. It's a, it's a great program. It comes highly recommended from, from every everyone who I've spoken with that's been in the program. And this is why we wanted to, to feature it uh, here on The Real Steamy because we we know what what great work you're, you're doing over there. Um, any any last words you want to leave the, the people with, Liza? I, I really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation and talk about so many different things. It was just a, a rich amount of information. I'm, I'm going to go back and listen to the podcast myself. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a fan now. So um, any last word, anything you want to share with people, anything you want them to, to know uh, on the way out? I think what I'll just say is thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a great pleasure to talk with you. And um, as Jarvis said, 
go to our website, but also reach out directly to me. So my contact information is on the website. If you go to the Graduate School of Education page, you can look me up under faculty or under the secondary MAT program uh, as the program director. And I'm happy to talk with anyone personally if you have questions or are interested in, about, interested in um, exploring a career in middle school or high school teaching, uh, even if it's not in STEM. But I particularly would love to hear from folks who are interested in becoming science or math teachers. So please reach out. I'm, I'd love to talk with any of you. Thank you. Let's give a big round of applause. Dr. Eliza Finkel, the Associate Professor of Education in the Lewis and Clark Graduate School of Education and Counseling in the Department of Teacher Education. Uh, so, and also the Program Director and Science Content Area Coordinator in the Secondary MAT Program. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you everyone for taking the time to listen to us here at the Real Steamy Podcast. Make sure you check out uh, the information on STEM Week from our sponsor, Oregon STEM. So you hit that up, stemweekoregon.org slash stemweek2021. Make sure you're using the hashtag Oregon uh, STEM Week OR 2021. Make sure you're checking out our website, eastmetrosteam.org. And until next time, make sure that you keep it real, real steamy. Thank you.